0: Thank you for that. Let's take our Bibles this morning, turn to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. I thought we'd begin this morning by having William come up on the platform. I asked Stephen Jr. if he would stand down below. (laughs) And uh, then I could ask William, William, do you trust me? I noticed he didn't show up. I, didn't. I think maybe that's my answer. Not just him. Have you seen Stephen Jr.? He hasn't sure come has. in yet. All right, anyway, all right, all right. Genesis chapters 5 and 6 we want to look at this morning. And uh, I'll give you the outline before we begin. I'm to, the outline is we're going to look at a stroll, a ship, and a storm. A ship and a storm and a stroll. That's interesting. What are we doing in Genesis? You know this is a message that uh, I've had in my heart for quite a little while. Just a, a passage here, a thought, and even into last year I thought maybe the first time I spoke back in September it would be the opportunity and God didn't lead me that way. and. Uh, So I (laughs) thought again of it this time. And then about three weeks ago, uh, Brother Bosler spoke on a boat, and a storm, and a stroll, right? And uh, I thought, wow, that's very interesting. Because that wasn't the text that I was thinking of. I was thinking of this. Is there a boat here anywhere in this vicinity? Is there a boat? So you're going, no. Keep reading. (laughs) Is there a storm? Small one? Just something, just, you know, out of the blue? All right. Well, the title of my message is The Perfect Storm. The Perfect Storm. In 1991, a hurricane made its way up the coast of the United States, never reached a huge significant, okay, but they're always destructive. This one was a category two as it made its way up the coast, It hadn't made landfall. It turned and was headed north along the coast and everybody's watching it, of course. And the customary thing for a hurricane is when it gets into northern, northern waters, what happens? It gets smaller, it dissipates. Cold water, you know, doesn't mix well with that warm tropical depression that becomes a hurricane, and, and it just kind of winds down. It's not like the Energizer bunny anymore, it just kind of fizzles. And for the people in the north, that's a good thing. They're not accustomed like Florida to having big hurricanes. And so it really doesn't amount to much. And surely as the thing passed Massachusetts, it really dropped out of the category of being a hurricane. And therefore, it lost its name, you know, every hurricane has its name. It, uh, it lost its name. But then something very unusual happened. They say this only happens once every 50 to 100 years. It met a storm, really a, a low depression, a cold front coming out of Canada. That had swept down from the mid-Atlantic there and, and uh, or the Atlantic, Provinces there and and came out and and met, the two met. And that that storm that came out of Canada was so big it swallowed, it literally swallowed what was left of that hurricane. But because there was enough warm warmth left in that tropical depression, something happened that was just that caught everybody off guard, including the National Oceanic Service. It became a hurricane again. And the, uh, you know, the, the service that uh, is involved in that decided not to even give it another name, though it reached hurricane status. Because they were afraid of, of just striking fear in everybody in New England. Now there's a hurricane that's formed off the coast of New England. And so it just became known as the perfect storm. People died October, 1991. I was in Maine at the time. I remember that day. The storm never got close enough really to where I was. It was off the coast. It struck Nova Scotia and people died. In the storm, there are buoys off the coast that can measure wave heights. They say that the average sustained height of the waves off the coast were 39 feet. 39 feet, that's a four-story building. Those are waves, consistent waves. What had happened to the ocean surface itself was perhaps the most unusual thing. The wind speeds reached 75 plus miles an hour, but coupled with waves 40 feet tall. And then a buoy 264 miles off the coast of Nova Scotia registered a wave. 100.7 feet. That holds the record today for any part of the North Atlantic like that. A hundred foot wave. One of the things that became famous about it is that there was a fishing trawler off the Grand Banks fishing for swordfish. Called the Andrea Gale, 72 feet long, caught in that storm. Six men aboard. It's never seen again. Nobody knows whatever happened to it. The perfect storm. You know, we do name hurricanes after people. Sometimes we have a little fun with it. You know, I think every storm has a name on it. The storm of our lives have our names on them. They have a purpose. You've been hearing about that a lot lately. Frankly, Testimony Chapel on Monday, some of you stood to recognize the fact that I've got storms this time of year. They've got my name on them. I'm walking in the storm. That's what God intends. He doesn't intend for you to drown. Let's look at Genesis chapter Chapters 5 and 6 here leading into, a, a, we have a, you know, the opportunity here for a ship and a storm and a stroll. But in this text, they're in a different order. There's some things I want you to notice. We're going to actually take the stroll first because in Genesis chapter 5 we go through a list here of genealogy. And uh, if you're not familiar with this and you haven't taken first semester history of Civ, so, we could ask some questions right now some of these, some of these students here about Genesis chapter 5. There are many generations listed here and ages, and the names of their sons. It goes from Adam in verse 1, 2, and 3, all the way down to Noah in verse 30 at the end of the chapter. These are those that are crying out to God chapter 4, verse 26 says, and to Seth, to him also there was born a son and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Yet the earth is filled with people who are not calling upon the Lord. You understand that to be the case. Are you with me? You taking history as if? <laughs> the rest of you need to then. Look, let's look down the line here. Just I want you to see something. In verse 3, it says, Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years. I want you to notice these six words. And he begat sons and... What's it say? Verse 7. And Seth lived after he begot Enos 807 years and begot sons and daughters... Verse 10. And Enos lived after he begot Canaan 815 years and begot sons and daughters. And verse 13. And Canaan lived after he begot Mahalalel 840 years and begat sons and daughters. Verse 16. Mahalalel lived after he begot Jared 830 years and begat sons and daughters. Verse 19. And Jared lived after he begot Enoch 800 years and begot sons and daughters. Verse 22. And Enoch walked with God." There's the stroll. Verse 22 then at the end it says that uh, Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah 300 years and begot sons and daughters. Look at verse 26. And Methuselah lived after he begot Lamech 780 and 2 years to become the oldest man ever recorded to have lived on the earth. And Begat sons and daughters. Do you know who those sons and daughters are there in verse 26? Who are they? They're Noah's uncles and aunts. Verse 30 And Lamech lived after he begot Noah 590 and five years and begat sons and daughters. Who are those people? Who are they? Those are Noah's brothers and sisters. Do you know that every generation, it says that that man, and I think they really all were walking with God, these are men of faith. That's why they're in this chapter. They're carrying on the torch. They've got the baton. The Messiah is coming through this line. And uh, in this line, it's saying that every one of them is having multiple, Plural, sons and daughters. Where are they? How many got on the ark? I think you know this one. How many? Eight. Eight. Were any of Noah's siblings on the ark? Hmm. Boy, it'd be, a, be a, just a, a quick answer to say, wow, they must have all died by then. Well, Maybe. I doubt it, eight, eight people. Dr. Henry Morris, in his book, The Genesis Record, well, actually it was in the Genesis Flood with, with uh, Dr. Whitcomb, some of you have heard me say this, that they, they actually took some mathematics to the problem and they said, now, if, if each family were this generational in years and had this many children, then after 1656 years to the flood, then here would be a conservative estimate of the number, the population of, on the planet. And the number they came up with was 1,000 million. That's a billion. And they said, that's conservative. It's likely that the number is actually quite higher than that. And yet we see that there are men walking with God, strolling. With God. Has the storm come yet? Well, then let me say it this way if you don't walk with Jesus before the storm, you won't walk with him in the storm. That's not necessarily what we think. We think, wow, if you can, uh, if you're just maybe in the right place at the right time, (laughs) wow, there's a storm. Now I'm going to work it up. I'm going to try to get out of the boat, and I'm going to try to walk with Jesus. And what we're seeing in this text is if you're not walking with Him before the storm, you have little hope of walking with Him in the storm. I want you to notice that under point number one in the stroll that the walk with God is uncommon. It's not a common thing. Maybe it's time that times we can say it's not even common here at BCM. I hope that's not the case. It should be a very common thing common in our own lives, common in us corporately as a, as a student body, as a church. It should be a common practice to walk with God, to stroll with Him. Do you know that Genesis 3 8 says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Do you know that Jesus likes to walk? He likes to stroll with you. It was his original intent in the garden before the sin that uh, apparently at a given time in the day he would come and he would meet with his creation and he he would stroll with them. He would walk with them. And they talked. And they shared with each other. They communed with each other. It was God's plan. You know what? And there was no storm. If you're not walking with God before the storm, you're not going to walk with God in the storm. You wonder why we flounder or whatever when the the pressures come and the schedule is full and things are against me. You have to walk with Him before that. Notice in in chapter 6 now, Verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. Verse 5, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart, and the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Both man and beast, the creeping thing and the fowls of the air for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Do you notice here it doesn't say that, that uh, God found something in Noah? It doesn't say that. Does it say that? No, it says Noah found something in God. Did you notice that? You know, when I was a kid, I thought, wow. Noah, he must be quite a guy for God to notice him. No, God was quite a God for Noah to notice him. Noah found something in God, something he needed. Do you know why? Because the storm's coming. He doesn't even know it. And notice what the result of that is. Verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. And Noah, what did he do? There he is. He's walking with God. Has the storm come yet? You walking with God? Walk with God was uncommon. First of all, a walk with God was an act of grace through faith. It always is. It's not about something that we're so good at doing. It's something that God does in us to be with him. Hebrews 11:7 seven says, by faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. By faith. By faith, dependency upon God, Noah had got a hold of God and said, I'm gonna depend upon you. I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna believe you. This is the very testimony that some are, are speaking here on Mondays. And you're speaking that because you're, you're learning that. And I've got uh, at various times men coming to me saying, I think I'm getting it. I think I'm understanding. Now I want to speak even to you freshmen. Don't wait till you're an upperclassman to get this. What I'm going to share with you today and we're only, we haven't even got into it yet. You need to listen carefully so that by the time you're a junior senior, you don't have any regrets oh, I wish I had done this differently. Invariably, that'll be the case. The good thing is you're a freshman right now. Pay attention. We're already holding interviews for next year's freshmen. Do you understand that? We are, you're saying, oh, I'm a freshman. Like you're going to be a freshman forever. No. There are young people out there who are now considering what you did a year ago, that God may want me to come to BCM, and we're holding interviews. They're coming. They're coming for visits, or we're interviewing them, and they're coming, and then you will guide them. You know when you will? Now, right now. Are you walking with God? Do you know what it's gonna take to get into the boat? because that's the next thing is the boat okay what's it going to take to get into the boat this is not hard you're gonna walk into the boat walk God's not gonna pick you up and force you into the boat he didn't throw Noah into the boat and shut the door and Noah was banging the door I want out right the boats pretty important how important is the boat to Noah come on Well, let's read how important it is. Verse 11, and the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way before the earth, upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. How important, how important is the boat? You want to be in the boat? You're going to have to walk. To get into the boat this isn't difficult you've got to be walking to get into the boat you have to be in the boat to survive the storm is that not all true of what we're understanding here it's very simple concept here a walk with God was an act of grace through faith it wasn't something that Noah was it's who God was Noah was understanding that he was getting a hold of that And then point C under Stroll here is a walk with God equals obedience. A walk with God equals obedience. What were the two songs that we sang today? Do you remember? The first one is? A shelter in the time of storm. And the second one? Wherever I go, I'll walk with Jesus wherever he goes and step with him walking with him every moment i pray still walking with him every time i obey you say well how do i walk with jesus i'm you know i'm reading my bible i'm having my devotions every morning are you obeying can we say that we really walk with jesus when we're not obeying even if we're having our devotions even if we're praying The key is obedience. But student, what brand of obedience do you practice? What does obedience look like for you? Say, well, I'm pretty good at this. All right, well, let me just give you one thought about this then. Just one aspect. I could have done this. I could have done it. I could have pulled up all your demerit records and handed them out at this point. Now, if you take a look at your demerit record, what does it say? Don't say anything out loud. What does your demerit record say? How many of those items that are there are a matter of obedience? How many of them? I, I, I would dare say they probably all are. There's really only one thing Likely that we give demerits for. It's disobedience. Now it'll say something other than that on it, like late to class. Is that not disobedience? Phone on, forms not in, room job not done. What if we just what if we just changed all that and just put disobedience, 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 disobedience? Right after college, I was teaching in a Christian school outside of Philadelphia and we took a bus trip with a class, field trip, and went down to Washington, D.C. I remember this explicitly. And on the way back, the kids were really wound up. Buses fall and it's just getting wound up. It was getting louder and louder. And I was constantly having to say, okay, all right, let's settle down. Finally got to the point, I said, look, the next time that I have to say to somebody, quiet down, you're going to get a detention when we get back. Okay. Well, but you know what happened? It climbed and climbed and finally that one that just there was the outburst, couldn't help himself or whatever. Happened to be one of the nicest, best, hardly got a demerit anything, but that's the one. I said, "Okay, you've got a detention." Really somebody said to me later, "You would give a detention for talking too loud?" No, that's not what I gave a detention for. Do you understand? I gave the detention for a direct disobedience." Whoa. What is your brand of obedience? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. I want to illustrate this. Matthew 14. in a couple ways, we're going to turn to a couple quick passages. Matthew chapter 14, the feeding of the 5,000 just happened. In fact, the people are still around. They haven't even left. They're just still just marveling and what, what a miracle just occurred. And in chapter 14 and verse 22, it says, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitude away. Now that part of it's rarely spoken of. We, we want to get to the part where there's the storm and Jesus is walking on the water and Peter says, wow, if it be thou, let me, you know, bid me come unto thee. And uh, Jesus says in verse 29, come and uh, wow. But you want to notice what it says here in verse 22, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship. It's a very strong word. Here's what it is. This is what it is. He looked at his disciples and he said, you guys, you get in that ship, now. The constrained idea is like, it's, it sounds like they didn't want to. Oh, I mean, this look, miracle people are still here. We're, we're having a great time. And Jesus says, now. You say, wow, you must have known a storm was coming. All things were made by him and not without him was not anything made that was made. Who made the storm? He hasn't made it yet. But he said, get in the boat. A matter of obedience. Now let me say it this way. You cannot get out of a boat you never got in. Let me say that again. You cannot get out of a boat that you never got in. And I'm afraid that we have students that are not yet, to this day right here, November 20th, that are not yet fully in the boat. You said, well, okay, you're saying it's the BCM thing. I got, No, it's a boat. Did Jesus tell you to get in it or not? Did he or not? then are you all the way in? Because now, at this time of year, it's really good to be able, at times, to get out and do what? Get out and do what? Walk on water, you say, oh boy, I'd like to walk on water like so-and-so. But you never got in. How are you gonna get out when you never got in? That's ridiculous. That doesn't even make sense to me. All right, presumably, Peter's in the boat, and, uh, and finally the word comes. The word is, come. That's all it was, come. What do you think was the first part of Peter's body to get out of the boat? Talk to me. Whatever you just said, I'm sure that's the case. <laughs> I mean, whatever, I don't know. Hand, head, arm, I don't know. he fall out? Did he, you know, I'm thinking his leg, okay. So his leg gets out of the boat. You know, it'd be, if, if he's going, I'm okay, here I come, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm not moving. What? And he looks down. And he's missing his leg. He's missing his leg. The very leg that's supposed to get out of the boat. It's not there. He looks back at the beach. There it is. (laughs) Now that would be a problem. But you know what? I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding the very thing that may be the first part of you that needs to get out of the boat might not even be here at BCM. You didn't bring it. It's not here. That'd be a bummer. I mean, it's time. I'm ready. He said, come! And you're not moving. And you want to. And you can't. You didn't bring it with you. You're not all here. Get out of my office sometimes, I mean, it's almost every year, I have a young man look at me and say, what does it mean to be all in? <laughs> get in the boat! How hard is it? Jesus constrained him, said get in that boat. How hard is this? They obeyed. Because they obeyed, somebody can get out of the boat. Now, did Peter fully come? Did he fully come to Christ? Okay, some are saying yes, some are saying no. Did did he not in the midst of that doubt and sink, cry out and Christ had to come to him and lift him out? Of all of the 12, who did Christ admonish? Who did he admonish? Peter, (laughs) I've heard this preached. Hey, at least he got out of the boat. But he's the only one that Jesus admonishes the only one do you hear jesus go back to the boat with peter and say what are you guys looking at <laughs> unbelievable what are you laughing at him for you guys are sitting there like a bump on the log you didn't get out of the boat does jesus admonish them yes or no why not who did he tell to get in the boat who did he tell to come wasn't their storm. I'm not saying by faith they couldn't have done it. But this storm was a point in Peter's life to take the next step. Peter understood that. If that be you, bid me come. I'm ready for the next step in my life. This is my storm. Therefore, in that, he failed to fully believe Jesus and he got the admonishment. Jesus, why would he he, uh, admonish the guys who obeyed him and are where he put them? He didn't tell them to come. He told Peter to come. What's your brand of obedience? Let's go to 1 Samuel 15. It's kind of lengthy, but I want to read through this uh, as fast as I can. You know the story, but uh, in verse, uh, let's let's begin here in verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken unto thou unto the voice of the Lord, the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling ox and sheep, camel and ass. Now jump down to verse 7, and Saul smote the, the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to shore, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Am- Amalek- Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul, and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and the fatlings, and of the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refused, that they utterly destroyed. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. and He cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place and is gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel said unto Saul, came unto Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment the Lord he probably even believed that and Samuel said what meaneth then what meaneth then what meaneth then this this demerit record what does this mean what does this mean I want you to consider that, student. What is the brand of your obedience? What is the extent of your obedience, yours? Let's keep reading. Verse 15, and Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen, to sacrifice unto the Lord the God, uh, thy God, the rest I have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Stay on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel, and the, Lord said, and the Lord sent thee on a journey, and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners and the Amalekites. and and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. It have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the spoil, the sheep and the oxen. Verse 22, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord his great delight, in burnt offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Students, listen. It says in the text, though I skipped over the verses, that Saul took 210,000 soldiers with him to meet the Amalekites. Let's just suppose for a moment that the Amalekites have a similar-sized army. I don't know, but let's suppose 210,000, and he saved how many? One, do you know how obedient he has been? Do the math, 99.99995% obedient. Yes, I have obeyed. Is he obedient? Did you hear what you just, you would condemn a man? who was obedient 99.99995%, you would condemn him? Do you realize in a semester, now listen to this. If in a semester a student is allowed, though we'd never want to see it happen, 150 demerits. Do you know what? 99.99995% obedience would be? Here's what it would be. It means that that student, if they were that obedient, as obedient as Saul, would get seven ten-thousandths of one demerit. Seven ten-thousandths of one, of one demerit in a semester. You just condemned him. Do you know what God calls it? Verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he also also hath rejected. Thee from being king. Willful disobedience on Saul's part. And God calls it rebellion. It's interesting how you picked up on it in his life. Look, we understand accents, this, whatever. Listen, the rules are clear. You signed them. Are you not in the boat? Because if you're not in the boat or you're only partially in the boat, well, then when the storm comes, it's no wonder you can't get out of it and walk on water. It's no wonder. Don't get frustrated with the circumstances, how come I'm not? I get out, I can't. You know, I fall over the side of the boat and I'm Jonah, I fall right in the water. There's a fish, Funk. Man, if that's the story of your life, you're in the wrong boat. Yes. The boat that Jonah was supposed to be in was headed another direction. Yes. It wasn't really a boat. It was a chariot. Whatever. He was supposed to go to Nineveh. He's in the wrong boat. There are other boats and storms. Did God tell you to get in this boat? Look, let's be real plain about this. If you are in the wrong boat, correct it. If God didn't tell you to come here, then we we didn't we didn't put a new, you didn't do you have do you have burns like rope burns around your neck? Did we? Did somebody force you, or did the Lord constrain you to get into the boat? Get in. Doesn't sound like they were super excited about it for whatever reason. God said. You get in, they got in. Then the storm came. That's no problem. You know what? It wasn't a problem for the guys sitting in the boat either. They were where they were supposed to be. There was one who could do what nobody else has ever done in human history. Walk on liquid water. What did it feel like? You ever wonder that? What was that? Wow. You know, my, I dare say that everybody in this room right now is in the midst of some sort of storm. Sure, of course. Not just the obvious, the schedule, whatever. Other things, I understand. You've got a storm. Some sin you're trying to overcome, some... Something you're wrestling with, some relationship's not going well, never has gone well. You're in a storm. You know what you need to do? You've got to be able to walk on water. You and I can't do this. Best we could do is the Jonah thing. God intends that that storm that has your name on it, has your name, that you get out of the boat the one that you got into, in obedience, full obedience, I'm in. I'm totally in. If there's some evidence of disobedience, that means you're not in the boat. You need to correct that. You need to go to somebody and correct that. Look, I'm sorry about this. I want to make sure that you know about this. I want to get in the boat. I don't want to be half in, half out. I want to be part of me back on the beach. That's a problem. Because when the storm comes, I want to be a water walker. I want to survive. I want to walk with Jesus. He's in the storm. Let's bow our heads. As we sit here with our heads bowed for a moment, how many of you would say, first of all, on this part of obedience, God's touched me about some area of obedience. And I recognize I've been calling it something else. Forgetfulness, uh, naivety, it's just me. It's kind of the way I am. And I'm not calling it what it is. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. And I want to start calling it what it is, 1 John 1, 9, confessing it so that I can have forgiveness and cleansing. Anybody like that? God put some area of disobedience on my heart. Several hands, many hands, you can put those down. All right, I wanna get specific about one other thing. How many of you would say, and nobody's looking, nobody's laughing, nobody whatever. If you're not willing to admit it, then you're you're not even at first base yet. You're still there trying to bunt. How many of you would say, you know what? I really am, God told me to get in to the boat. God told me to come to BCM and I'm not fully in. And I want to rectify that today. I want to be all in. I want to obey God in this. Anybody like that would lift the hand. I see that hand and there's several more. You can put those down. Let's stand to our feet. What what you are correcting today? You're not correcting for me. God is watching right now. While the piano plays, you do what you need to do.